encourage you to go online. Uh, we do have, thanks to Claire, she edits our sermons. Um, she'll go in there if there's any downtime. She'll make, them, she'll make me sound better than I should. And then she uploads it on a weekly basis. And I, I mean, most days they're up there by Saturday evening, Sunday morning. So if you've ever missed a sermon, we encourage you to go on. Um, you can go on our website, orangesda.org. But you can also go to your podcast directory on your phone and you can listen there. And last week's sermon, I think, was one that uh, is really important for us as we continue to sh- shift how we understand the world and shift our mindset and really focus more on what it, what it means that God wants to give us happiness and then what we can do about it. So if you weren't here, we encourage you to go online. We do mostly have our sermons on video as well, but the last couple of weeks I've made the mistake of going up there and trying to adjust it myself, and, um, and it's blurry, so we're not uploading those because it looks pretty bad. So um, hopefully in the weeks to come we'll reshoot those on, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon for any of you who want to hear sermons for two hours in a row. I think I have to redo three of them, so at the very least Kara will be my audience. Maybe. (laughs) Let us bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you do give to us. Father, we know that your word is a gift that keeps on giving. We know that it is a light unto our path. We know that it is refreshing to our soul. And we know that your word brings life into us. So we ask now that as we continue this teaching on what it means to find true happiness, we ask that you would give us your wisdom and your insight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to look at a passage that if you've been a regular attender of this church or maybe any church, it's probably a passage that you know really well. So I'm going to invite you to try to look at it with a beginner's eye. Not just to get to the point, you know, because as Seventh-day Adventists, we are people of the Word. And, and as Seventh-day Adventists, we like to read our Bibles. We like to do Bible studies. We like, to, we like to know all the stuff about the Bible. Is that true? Yeah, we do. It's what we do. We love it. The problem with us, and I can only speak for Seventh-day Adventists because that's what I am, is that we like doing that so much that whenever we try to have a Bible study, what's the one thing we do? Like, we'll start reading, like, a verse, and we already know the answers to what the passage is saying, and so we almost kind of check out because we already know the answer. Isn't, I mean, have you, ever, have you ever found that? Have you ever been in a small group Bible study, you're reading a passage, and you're like, oh, I remember what this pastor said, or what I read about, or what I saw, and I already know what this means. And instead of just experiencing the fullness of things that perhaps we haven't even seen before, or things that we might gloss over, I'm going to invite you to just pause and, and just read the scripture with me, and really try to ask God to give you a new set of eyes. So we're going to look at one passage that's really popular, and then we're going to look at a couple other scriptures that I just want to make sure that you have in your hands so that you can either note them in your Bible, write them down, come back to them, because it's passages that I think, if we meditate on those daily, really have the power that God can use to really shift how we see the world and how we understand happiness. All right, so I'm going to, um, before I invite you to open up to John, I want to ask you one question, and I don't expect you to answer this out loud, but if there was, if we're honest with ourselves, we can probably all use just a little bit more of something to bring us happiness. You know, if you've ever said, if, if I just made a little bit more money, then I would have peace. If my relationship with my spouse was just a little bit better, 
then everything would be fine. If, if he would just listen better, or if she would listen better, or if he was more patient, or if she was more patient, then everything would be better. If I could just get out of this job, then life would be better. If I could just move to this city, then life would be better. I think all of us, without knowing it, we often have these internal dialogues that say, if I just had this next thing, then life would be better. And the reality is, and we know this, although the grass always looks greener on the other side, it usually isn't. Isn't that true? Because as exciting as that new thing in our life may bring excitement, eventually it just kind of becomes normal. But I believe that the one thing that can remain exciting is having a relationship with God. Because if we're truly following and having a relationship with God, God is constantly asking us to move out of our comfort zones. Isn't that true? You know, if you have faith in God, but you're comfortable, then maybe your faith is lacking. Because in my life, what I've experienced is that whenever God, is, is whenever God sees that I'm too comfortable, God's always asking me to step out of that comfort zone because God is about working with us and he wants us to work alongside him because he knows that he has a, a mission and a purpose for each one of us. But you know, oftentimes when God calls us out of our comfort zones, the task seems too daunting. The task seems like insurmountable. And so instead of us going full force and trusting that God is going to do what he needs to do through us, we end up retreating and staying back in the status quo because it's easier than braving the wilderness. And so my question for you is this. You can think about all of the things that you think you need to make your life better, but my question, which is uh, under, underlying be, beneath all of that is, is God enough for you? You may get everything you want in this world, but if you don't have God, Scripture tells us that we really don't have anything at all. You know, one of the things that I often hear more than anything else is, if I just made more money, then life would be better. So in doing research for this sermon, I can't remember where I saw this, but there's a study that says that when you get to $78,000 a year, that any money you make above that isn't going to bring you any more happiness. So that means that people that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, that much more money isn't bringing them any more happiness. (laughs) Try me. (laughs) When you get there, Brett, we'll have this conversation. And what studies show is that the more money that we make, the less generous we become and the more unhappiness that settles into our life. But people that make less often give more percentage-wise of what they make. They serve others more. They enter into relationships more. But people who make more money become more isolated because what happens? The more money you have, what happens? People start asking for stuff. That's why people that win the lottery, oftentimes, I think the majority of the time, they end up spending through all their money because everyone comes, everyone's asking. But you see, we've fallen for this false god and this false idol that if we just had more of this or that or the other thing, then life would be better. But again, we come back to this question, but if we have all of God's attention, is that enough for us? And if God is enough for us, what does that mean for our lives? So I want to look at John chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, it's John chapter 10. Remember I said it's a verse we all know well. So I'm going to ask you to slow down with me as we read through this. John chapter 10, verse 1. 
And I will have it on the screen so we can all be on the same translation if we want. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and here's what he says. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. Now, sometimes the Bible uses imagery that in 2018 has, it doesn't really make sense unless you're a farmer or you have a ranch. Isn't that true? I don't have either, but um, I try to picture myself. So Jesus is describing a sheepfold, or just imagine a place where sheep are held inside a gate, right? We've seen this in movies or in TV shows or in pictures. And Jesus is saying, so picture, imagine that we're all in a sheep pen here. And Jesus says that anyone who does not enter by the gate or by the door where you're supposed to come into, but comes in from any other way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate where you're supposed to is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper, opens the, ga- the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them because they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. That's a Biblical way of saying you can go in and you can go out and you will have protection and you will have guidance and you will have all that you need. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, that you, may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So I'm going to just pause there for a moment. Imagine that we are the sheep, and that Jesus is our shepherd. And a shepherd's job was to lead and to guide his sheep, to provide for them, to protect them, to ward off attacks from predator animals. The shepherd was there to protect the sheep, care for them, guide them, and they trusted that the shepherd would do that. Now, I know they're animals, okay, but I understand what I'm trying to say here, that if we are to be the sheep of God, we can trust and protect that God will provide and protect all our needs. And so the question that I want to ask you from this passage that maybe you haven't thought about before, that I hadn't thought about before until last night at about 11.30 at night, all right? So just, you know, whenever you're reading Scripture over and over and over and over and over again, eventually something else comes out that maybe you haven't seen. And here's the thing that I believe the Holy Spirit gave to me last night, and he says, David, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of the shepherd, or are you listening to everyone else's voice? You see, sometimes we listen to our own internal dialogue more than we will listen to what God is saying about us. You know, whenever we listen, and I believe that it's the enemy who in some way exploits our own self-doubt, our own shame for the things that we have done, 
our limiting beliefs about who God says that we are, but we can't believe that God would see us as someone who is redeemed and saved and even a saint. You know, if I were to ask you this morning, do you see yourself more as a saint or a sinner? I think most people, and I I could be 100% wrong, okay? So what happens when you make assumptions? But I think most of us would say, uh, I'm much more a sinner than I am a saint. Isn't that right? True? Yeah. But see, that's the voice of the enemy telling you that you're a sinner and unworthy of the assurance of salvation. Because what Scripture teaches us and what God tells us and what Paul says is that you are a saint. And we are a community of saints. You see, the problem with that word is that we've attached so much baggage to it because of what other religious organizations have established to what makes someone a saint. But when it comes to Scripture, a saint is someone like you who believes in Christ. And Jesus, again, asks us, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to the voice of the Spirit? Or are you listening to anything other than that? You see, because when we listen to the voice of the enemy, it tells us, oh, you're a sinner. You know that thing you did. You know that thing you did that no one knows you did? How could you possibly be saved? We all have these limiting beliefs about ourselves. And it's like I started this morning when God calls us to do something, we always believe the limiting beliefs. And then we don't do what God is calling us to do when God says like, yeah, of course you can't do it on your own. But that's why I'm going to help. And again, the Spirit asks us whose voice are we listening to? And there's a difference between shame and guilt. You see, the enemy shames us into thinking that we are a mistake, that because we have sinned, we ourselves are sin and beyond redemption. That's what shame does. You know, shame tells you, you are a mistake. You know, shame researchers, and there is such a thing as shame researchers, would say that shame is not helpful for anything. Shame makes you retreat. Shame makes you in denial. Shame will break you away from relationships. But then they say this, so shame is terrible, it's bad. But guilt is actually a pretty good thing. Because if someone feels guilt, what they're saying is that I am feeling remorseful for this thing that I did. And in the context of a relationship, these researchers would say that guilt actually will help to repair the relationship because if someone is truly remorseful, they will do whatever they need to in order to fix that wrong. We've all been there, haven't we? You've said something, done something, you feel remorseful, and then you go and try to repair that. And there's a difference between guilt and shame. I think for those of you who have repented and who are trying to follow the way of Jesus, sometimes we feel guilt, and it's just because we know that we haven't lived up to who Jesus is. But even in those moments, Scripture tells us that you are still a saint in the eyes of God. But shame comes from the enemy, and he says, oh yeah, you didn't just make a mistake, you are a mistake. And so as followers of Jesus, when we come to this passage, you know, Jesus is asking us, he's inviting you to listen to the voice of the shepherd. 
But you see, we've all been burned in our life. We've all been betrayed. We've all been hurt. And so trust feels very expensive. And trust is in short supply because we don't want to give our trust to someone because we've been hurt and we don't want to get hurt again. But Jesus says, trust me because I will never hurt you. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, abundance is another word that in 2018 loses the meaning and the strength and the deepness of what Jesus would have meant. You see, because there's some preachers who will get up and say that that to have an abundant life, that God is going to give you all of the riches and all of the blessings, but Jesus never does it. He will give us blessings, but they may not come in material possessions. And so I think an even better word to think about when we hear abundance is fullness. You know, this past week we celebrated Thanksgiving, and some of us, like I said, were fortunate enough to be with our families. And I remember sitting around the table with my family, and things weren't always so great with us. But on this Thanksgiving, I was able to sit around this table and feel the fullness of being around those who love me and whom I love. And so there is this depth of fullness, of peace, of happiness, of joy. And Jesus says, I have come that you may feel the fullness of life. You know, there's another passage that I don't have on the screen. It says that God was pleased to have God's fullness dwell in Christ. All right, so think about this. God's fullness was pleased to dwell in Jesus. But then Jesus, the Bible tells us, lives within us. Ask me how that makes sense. I have no idea. And we don't have to make sense of it. And it's okay that it's mysterious. But that's what Scripture tells us is that God lives within you. And now the fullness of God dwells within you. But the voice of the enemy says, yeah, right. You think God was there when you did this, 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 and this, or when you said those things? But I think God can handle our worst sins. God didn't give up on us on the cross. He's not going to give up on us today. And so Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he says, trust me, listen to my voice. And if you were to read all of Scripture, and I know some of you are getting ready to read through the whole Bible, or at least start to on January 1, And it's okay if you just get through Exodus, because those are like all the great stories, and then the end of Exodus gets kind of like, you know, bogged down a little bit, I'll be honest. (laughs) And then it doesn't really pick up again until Deuteronomy, just FYI. (laughs) But if you just read through Genesis and Exodus, you will find that the people who had experienced the fullness of life, those who had that joy and that peace, were the people that walked with God. The Bible tells us that, that Noah walked with God. Through the stories of Exodus, we see that Moses and the Israelites walked with God. There was tons of suspenseful moments, just so you know. But God never abandoned them. And the scripture is clear that when we are open to the presence of God and we walk with God, you will be filled with the fullness of God. So let me give you a couple of Bible verses, all right? Make sure you write these down in your bulletin. Um, Claire, 
I'll give these to you so you can put them in the show notes for our podcast. And also, maybe we can put them in our weekly email as well. Because these are like some of these verses that I'm about to read to you are some of these like really powerful verses in Scripture that if you were to just to commit to just read these every day and meditate on these, I guarantee you your perspective on life would change. So let's go here. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you. O oh God, my soul thirsts for you, for the living God. If we stop the verse here, you would be like, man, this guy... David is like a spiritual giant. This guy really knows what it means to thirst for God. Because listen, I know, and I'll just be 100% honest and vulnerable with you right now. These Black Friday sales, I was online clicking through them. And I'm like, I need that, I need that, I need that, I need that. And then I look at my bank account and I say, okay, well, maybe I don't need any of those things, right? But see, our soul, it yearns for things. And maybe you don't like to buy things, but maybe you want experiences, or maybe you want relationships, or maybe you want substance. But we're all yearning for something. Most of us, and because technology has really messed us up, we all yearn for distraction. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there's some of us who will just be on our phones all day scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, not really Twitter because that's, you know, I don't know, whatever else is on there. I do it all the time when I'm bored. And I stop myself and I think to myself, you're just wasting time. Like, I'm not making a judgment about social media because I love it, right? (laughs) But it's like we long and yearn for distraction in our lives. And here's the thing, like, the devil doesn't need us to not believe in God. He just needs us to take our attention away from God. Because the moment that we take our eyes and our attention and our spirit away from God— everything seems to start falling apart. But if you were to go and read Psalm 42, the next eight verses, or six, however many are in there, are of a guy who who basically says, I really don't yearn for God. And it's a man who's filled with doubt. But see, that's what's powerful about Scripture and the paradox of spirituality is that when we see things like this, it says, I want to yearn my soul. It wants only to want God. I think, um, I think I remember reading this. Some of you remember, or most of you still know, Charlene Brigham. She passed away recently. We all know that, right? She was one of the founding members of this church. And one of the times I was there visiting with her, I remember looking at a note that she had written in her Bible she was, how old was she when she passed away? 90, 92? Okay, so she lived a long time. And there was a note that says, until your heart yearns for God more than anything else, you won't find true peace. I remember, th- I, might got the, I might have got that second part wrong, but that first part is, until your heart yearns for God more than anything else, you will never find true peace. And for those of you who have gone through strife and difficulty and suffering in your life, you have told me that as hard as life was, it still brought you closer to God. Now, I'm not saying that God made you go through those difficult times, but I know that God is just like, look, I'm here, and maybe this is the only way that you'll actually be receptive to what I've been trying to do. And so Psalm 42 says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, my soul longs for you, and my soul thirsts for you. Let me give you two more verses. 
Jesus says, those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Was Jesus talking about water? No. But Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you this thing that will last for all eternity. And it doesn't start in some distant time, but it begins today. And I hope I put the next verse on there that explains this more. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And, let the, and remember, it's not physical thirst. It's the yearning of our soul. And let the one who believes in me drink. For as the scriptures has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said, this is about what? The spirit, which believers in him were to receive you see, the, the, that in the last, like we said last week, we all have that God-shaped hole in us that was placed within us. God knowing that only he could fill the fullness of all of our soul's yearnings and the true happiness and true peace can only come from God. And it wasn't because God needs us to love him. It's because God wanted to show us the fullness of life and he knew that that couldn't be attained through anything or anyone else. And so Jesus says... For those of you who are here this morning who believe, you are being filled with the Spirit. See, this was first century. They were to receive it. And if we were to read the rest of the New Testament, we see that the believers, that when Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit, like the wind, goes wherever it wants to, to whomever it wants to, however it wants to. And what we find here is that if you believe in Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit. And, I, I, and this may be controversial, so we can disagree about this later. But I think that we oftentimes get in the way of what the Spirit is doing in our lives because we choose to listen to the voice of someone or something else instead of listening to the voice of the shepherd. And so Jesus says, every believer, the heart shall flow rivers of living water, which is the Spirit. There's, I can give you a hundred other Bible verses, like when Jesus says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, which is saying greater is God who is in me than the enemy who is outside of me. Circumstances and situations will never change the character of God. And I think I have one more verse here, maintaining this idea of drinking water. <laughs> How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Again, a protection. And they feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. Remember, this is metaphor. This is symbol. This is poetry and also deep theology. But David says, we feast on the abundance of your house. And you give drink from the river of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Again, think about the metaphor and the image. Right? It is this image that, that God gives you sight. In the darkness there is fear. As kids, how many times were we afraid needing to go to the kitchen to get a glass of water in the middle of the night? Like, you would just die of thirst instead of going there, right, some of us? Especially if you saw a commercial with something scary on it, and you're just like, I'm okay. 
But in the darkness, there is fear because there's unknown, there's uncertainty. And so in our lives, there is uncertainty. There is fear. There are circumstances you don't know how they're going to turn out. And there is fear. But what we find in Scripture is that God gives light to even the darkest corners of our life. And in God's light, we can see clearly. And so we ask and we come back to the question of how do we find happiness, part two. Because we have to learn to listen to the voice of the shepherd. May our attention be focused on hearing the voice of God. And the place that we hear that the clearest, I believe, is in Scripture. Now I know, sometimes for some of you it's hard to read the Bible. I know that. And I know sometimes there's things in the Bible where we have to Google things up and we don't really know what this word says or what that word is. And I would encourage you, start reading Genesis. Read Exodus. Read Deuteronomy. Read Judges, Joshua, Ruth, Esther, First and Second Samuel. All these Old Testament books are filled with stories that you don't need a theological degree to understand. I mean, I would say the New Testament as well, but the New Testament sometimes get a little, gets a little bit more nuanced. But I say start with the stories of Scripture so that you can begin to see like, oh my gosh, like God was there. God doesn't abandon these people. These people are making mistakes left and right, and God still is continually pursuing and protecting these people. You know, start the year reading the stories of Scripture and then try to put yourself into those and ask yourself, am I the Moses? Am I the Noah? Am I the Abraham? Or am I the other guys who are doubting and walking away from God? you got to find yourself in those stories. And I truly believe that it, in Scripture, the Bible says that it is, the, it is a lamp unto our feet. It guides us. And if we want to hear the voice of God do that, and if some of you are saying, like, well, that's too much, thanks to technology, there's an app on your phone called Audible. And you can buy religious books on there if you want to that, that do talk about the Bible, that do make it easier and more manageable to listen to, to what Scripture says through to the perspective of someone else. They also have, you know, on your podcast, you can go on and listen to sermons. I know there's a handful of you here who have told me that you listen to sermons all the time. When you go for a walk, pop your headphones on, listen to a sermon. When you're in the car, listen to the sermon. Like, I guarantee you, if you start listening, and I'm not saying listen to my sermons, like find other people's sermons. You hear enough of me, right? But but listen to anyone that you like or, or ask me for recommendations, and I'll give you all sorts of recommendations of who you can listen to that I listen to. But I guarantee you, the more you listen, the more you're filling yourself with the Word of God, you begin to see the world differently. You just do. You can't help it. And it's not superstitious. It's because God's like, okay, finally, like, you're allowing yourself to hear the voice of the shepherd read a devotional, whatever it is, you want to be immersed in his word because through it, God can use it to shift and change how you see the world. It can grow your faith when you're going through difficult times and you realize, oh, I remember Job. He lost everything. Job says, if you've ever gone through really deep sadness and suffering in your life, and if you've ever felt depressed, read Job, and you're going to be like, oh man, like chapters 7 through 9, I can't remember what chapters they are. You're like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm feeling exactly what this guy is feeling, for different reasons probably, but still. And in the end, God restores him, because Job refuses to hear the voice of someone who wasn't the shepherd.
The Bible is there for you to grow, to learn, to find yourself in those stories because God wants to be the comforter, the giver of peace, the wonderful counselor, your heavenly father. He wants to protect and gird you up to be strong and victorious. And only you can only hear that through Scripture. Because i, I got to tell you, if you're only getting Scripture from me on Saturday morning, I mean, I'm going to do my best to give you the very best that I can, but it will never be enough for you to spend the time reading and rereading some of these passages. Because those of you know that if you've read and read and read and read the same passage over and over again, it begins to take a whole new light. And so I want to invite you this morning, and I want to encourage you, But if you want to find true happiness, it's found in listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd. And I encourage you to get into his word in any and every way possible because it will change your life.